0: Welcome to season two of our Bold Conscious Connections podcast,
1: where we bring you stories, conversations, and life experiences of those that have taken the journey and the leap of faith from employee to entrepreneurship.
0: Every week we will bring you interviews or messages from us about what it took for people to take this Bold Conscious journey.
1: So without further ado, let's get into our episode today. So today we thought, you know, I'd interview my own business partner, Tisha Ramos, and, you know, ask her some questions about what it took her to go from the journey of being a corporate employee for what, 20 years, and to, become an on- to becoming an entrepreneur. Um, I started my journey many years earlier but it would be good to hear from Trisha, who has been it now for two plus years. Um, she and I met by way of background a couple of years ago at a mastermind, and decided that uh, this was something that we could do together. So, do you want to talk a little bit about your background, Trisha? And for those of it, those of the listeners that don't know you um, as well as I do.
0: Hmm. Well, I came from retail, Mm -hmm. years and years of retail. Um, Why is that? You know, I happen to live right by the Woodbury Commons, which, if you're in New York or the Northeast, or maybe you're a Japanese tourist, (laughs) you know all about (laughs) the Woodbury Commons. (laughs) It's uh, probably like the most popular outlet center in the United States. It's in New York and it's about 60 miles north of, or 50 miles north of New York City. So where I grew up, actually the high school I went to was just directly across the street. So Hmm. jobs, you know, growing up was all about like getting a job there. And so um, all through college, I would come home in between, you know, breaks and semesters and I would work there and uh it was really fun Mm -hmm. it was fun to have a a job in retail in the mid 90s you know it really was and retail was just one of those things that you know being around people and selling i was good at Mm. you know and i love um helping people find things that (laughs) made them really happy whether it was like a piece of clothing or like something for their home it was there was something about it that was really satisfying to me, and I do I love to sell, and I sell mm. all kinds of things, whether it's it's an object or an idea. I just always um, really love to help people people explore possibilities, and I think that's you know retail allowed me to do that.
1: Well, I'd say it's beyond retail as far as my experience goes with you. She's a great coach, by the way, and so I've seen her help transform other people's lives because we we're we're coaches and we we have clients and we help a lot of different uh, people. So I know that you helped them figure out what they might have walked into the store with and they had no clue what they're looking for, <laughs> but you were able to ask them the questions that helped them. Oh, that's what I'm looking for. So you are such an enabler. I know that. So that's that's amazing. But that an was enabler. In that way, that you just help them figure out. Well, maybe that's not what I what I meant. What's the What's the better word than enabler for you?
0: Um, I guess someone who helps people see the possibilities. And mm-hmm. you know, I I like to think of of myself, and I like to think of anyone really who genuinely enjoys the idea of sales and mm. salesmanship. I like to think of, of that as a skill that helps people discover a better way yeah. of living and experiencing and being.
1: Okay, well, well then we'll will scratch enabler in that in that conversation. Um, but certainly, you're you helping them with their own perhaps desires and you know uh, shine the little blind you know light on the blind spots for them. So they recognize what they are and who they are and what they really were desiring in that, in that moment. As a yes, coach. As a coach. <laughs>
0: right. Like it, whether it's a product or, yes. you know, it's you seeing yourself for who you truly are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have sold people on themselves for sure.
1: Exactly. All right. Well, just careful when you run into Tricia then. <laughs> um, so the, the, I wanna go back to our, our, our own respective transitions from corporate to, to entrepreneurship, but, but today's focus is on you. So was there, you were, you, when you started your career, what, what brought you into, into that career? And why did you choose it? And was it your choice? And you know, people have different reasons why they got into their careers. So what is the genesis of your joining that retail, global retail organization?
0: Yeah, well, I used to work with Crate and Barrel. I was with Crate and Barrel for over 20 years. And it was the late 90s and um, right before, you know, the right before 2000, actually. And for me, it truly was a matter of falling into it. Mm. I was, um, I was a great salesperson. You know, I was, they brought in, I remember they brought in like a $1,400 coffee machine and everybody was like, (laughs) who's going to buy a coffee machine for $1,400? And I was like, I'm going to sell it. (laughs) And I did, Mm. you know, and um, I just, I, there was something about like falling into things that made it easy. Mm. And I was young, you know, I was like a year or two out of college and I wanted to have a good time. I mean I'm telling you like my twenty something year old son. But wait, wait, that's...
1: isn't that isn't there also I know that story a little bit about the fact that you were a pre-medical student and then you decided to not do that?
0: Yeah, I I had every year at college I had like twenty eight credits because mm-hmm. I was pre-med. Mm-hmm um and then one day you know during an internship at Beth Israel I realized I don't want to be in the hospital
1: <laughs> For those listening to that take note <laughs> of that
0: and I didn't want to be around I didn't actually have the stomach to be in the hospital and to witness people um you know in conditions I just didn't you know and now in hindsight I could tell you there was a there's a very good reason why I couldn't um be mm-hmm. in this space because i as I got older and I got on this coaching journey, I realized like I actually am very, very sensitive I'm very, very mm. open and I can I feel you know I feel pain like I feel other people's pain in a way that probably the average person wouldn't mm. i not only do I feel it, but I absorb it as mm. if it was my, as if it's my own and so i remember that internship i went to beth israel and i was uh i can't remember if it was a junior at fordham university in the bronx and um gosh i ran out of there and i never went back and i Mm. called my my mom and i was just like oh my god i can't do Mm. it it really like being in there um felt like it was swallowing me
1: in other Um, words you were taking on the Pain of the patients that you might might have gone to. Yeah, and there was no way
0: I was going to be able to help them because I was actually wearing their and owning their pain. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, and if you're listening to this now, you know, in the late '90s, we didn't have a term for that. We didn't know what that was. Today, we know that to be as someone who is an empath, mm-hmm. you know, or has empath um, abilities. And I, I just really. <laughs> finally came to that realization just last year um, but my whole life I I mean for that.
1: 21 years of working uh, 20 years of working uh, you didn't know that and
0: I didn't know that but now knowing what I know as a leader because yeah. I was always a leader in the organization mm-hmm. sure. you know I always I um, you know was fortunate enough in that leaders recognized, me yep. and, and you know gave me opportunities, and so I was a, a people leader pretty much for my entire mm-hmm. um, career in retail. And I want to say that in one hand, while it debilitated me in the hospital <laughs> setting, it really was a superpower for me in 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 my job in the retail industry, leading people mm-hmm. because it allowed me a way to connect and relate. With you were anybody, not only, no matter who they were,
1: not just your your co-workers but all and colleagues, but also people that came to the, the stores, the customers, right? Yeah. They were you were you were lit up when you were talking to the customers, I suppose.
0: Well, yeah, because I I was able to immediately, um, you know, what is the definition of empathy? It's a being able to put yourself in somebody else's Their shoes. shoes. Yeah, exactly. When you're an empath. Not only are you in their shoes, you literally can feel in the very fabric of their being, oh. like their pains, their problems that you, they want to solve, mm-hmm. like who they are, what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, about a year ago this time, I discovered that uh, what's an empath? And I think I'm one, you know, because <laughs> um, I used to just think like maybe I'm just really ultra sensitive and you know, being in the corporate setting, in the corporate environment, you're not necessarily exploring mm-hmm. those types of things or what that is. That's kind of like more of a new term mm-hmm. in the last like 10, 15 years. Yeah. You know, I had a, a boss actually the, in the last year that I was at Crate and Barrel say to me, I think you're an empath. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but you're probably right. <laughs> because she was saying that to me in response to how I was able to articulate what my teams, what the struggles were that my teams were going through in the stores. And you know, I had multiple stores that were under mm-hmm. my uh jurisdiction and And so she was like, I think you're an empath. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but you're probably right. Um, Because, yeah, I've always, my whole life, been able to um, connect very deeply Mm -hmm. if I I allowed myself with somebody's pain or what somebody might be going through Mm -hmm. or their joy. Yeah. You know, I'm easily affected, Mm -hmm. if that's the word, affected by the energy around me.
1: Wow. So, so... Talk a little bit about how you fell into the, the well, Creighton Barrels, as you already mentioned it. Uh, as you said, you fell into it. How did that come about? How do you fall into <laughs> it?
0: Well, I fell into it because I was looking for a job and it was a temporary job mm-hmm. because I was planning on, I had every intention to go to grad school. Right. But in the meantime, let me get a job for a year so that I can you know have money to start paying student mm-hmm. loans with. And I applied for a bunch of jobs in New York City, and they were all in fashion because mm. all of my experience through college, I worked for Tommy Hilfiger, I worked for Ralph Lauren, I worked for Giorgio Armani. So I was looking for jobs in fashion. I applied for Bloomingdale's. If you're in New York City, like, you know, you know, these these are institutions.
1: Institutions, exactly. Um,
0: and my, But my mother worked at a company that was what is the Bloomberg building now on 59th and Park. Mm-hmm. And so in my dorm, I used to go to Fordham University. In My senior year, I lived at the dorms in Lincoln Center. So I literally would walk along Central Park mm. South um, to visit my mom and I would pass by this store called Crate and Barrel. Mm. They had beautiful, colorful mugs, really nice housewares items that I thought, you know, when I get an apartment, I want some colorful dishes like that and like fun. Mm-hmm. fun like glassware like that and so that's why they were on my radar and they were looking for a management trainee and I thought I could apply for a management trainee job and mm-hmm. honestly I applied for a bunch of jobs Bloomingdale's is one of them a bunch of other retailers and Creighton Barrel was at the bottom of the list but as a good empath I go to the interview and I'm interviewed by this gentleman called Kent Sargent and it was the most amazing conversation. He might be listening to you right now. Yeah. <laughs> and it was the most amazing conversation that, then, you know, he invited me to come back the next day to meet with the manager of the Madison and 59th Avenue store at the time. Her name's Lisa Smith. And she ended up being my boss and my mentor mm. for many years. Um, and he was like, can you come back tomorrow? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> and at that point, no other... No other job mattered. And I, I fell into it in the way that, you know, people people can be magnetic. And mm. and why do we fall into things? Like, well, we fall in love with people, don't we? Sure. And so I feel like in that moment, I fell in love with the company through, by way of mm. Mr. Kent Sargent. Wow. And um I just really felt like this is it. This is the company. This is the job that I want, even though... Even though prior to that moment, I didn't really care that much.
1: Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious. This is a side question. What happened to Mr. Sargent? Are you in touch with him?
0: You know, we uh, message every now and then through social media.
1: He's still around and doing, is he a crate and barrel
0: No, no. Um, Kent ended up, uh, I guess, uh, leaving right around like 2011. Mm. And actually, I ended up taking over the role that he had. Oh, wow.
1: Well, mm-hmm. Kent, shout out to you if you're listening to this conversation. So so let's now switch gears into, I guess, I know a little bit about the story, but maybe the listeners want to hear. What was the sort of catalyst for you to, you wanted, always wanted to be an entrepreneur, from what I know, or maybe at some point in your life you realized that you did. What were What were some of those decision-making things you were going through and then what was the catalyst eventually that deci- that was the decision moment for you that this is it you're done <laughs> and just 2 years ago you decided that this is i'm on my way to my entrepreneurship
0: you know both my parents had jobs mm-hmm. and they were with their companies for a long time mm-hmm. And I had entrepreneurs in my family background. My grandmother on my mom's side was a serial Mm -hmm. entrepreneur. My, one of my uncles who's my godfather is an entrepreneur. So there was entrepreneurship back there, but most of my role models Mm -hmm. in, in the way of family were employees and I was um, raised to really, you know, go to college, find a job. And I'm that generation where I'm probably the last of the generation where you could retire with the, the same one company. company, the one company. Mm-hmm. Because if you're watching this in video, I might look younger, but I'm actually... But she is. She is. <laughs> she is. I'm actually Generation X. And so... So anyway, I joke, but um, I was supposed to just like have the one job, and I was doing really well actually, and yep. I was well um, revered in my company, and have a great had a great um, you know track record, success, and you know I was my job was was very was very important because I was in 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 the New York market, and um, so. I I was always um, successful in that sense, in that way. Now, when did I discover or come to the awareness that I wanted to be an entrepreneur? It wasn't immediate mm-hmm. because I, like I said, my closest examples were my parents who were employees. And um, probably that was part of the reason why it took me so long to leave. Mm -hmm. However, you know, over the course of many years, I got, for example, my health coaching certificate from Institute Mm -hmm. for Integrative Nutrition, and I started coaching clients, you know, on the side part-time. I had so many side hustles. Mm. I was What was the reason for that? Why did you need side hustles? Um, Because I wanted, I was, clearly looking for other
1: not to make money
0: no it wasn't to make money okay well
1: that's it was like
0: another way for me to To do multiple things satisfy my desire to do something greater than Uh what i was doing like to make a greater impact so there was a health coaching piece i was also i was on the fitness journey so i found myself teaching Mm -hmm. group fitness i was teaching group fitness um at equinox i was doing um, group fitness for the city of new york um, for you know on volunteer purposes for for example people who couldn't afford to go to the gym so i was doing Mm -hmm. that Uh, so and i was also dabbling with network marketing you Mm -hmm. know in 2013 i got involved with a company called team beach body which you know many people know is like the creators of insanity Mm and p90x like so I did all that, you know, to really um, satisfy my, I, I just always had this like, oh, there's so many ways I can help people and I want to help people. Um, you know, I had 28 credits in college all four years and all, so for me, there was something about who I was that really identified with being busy and and just having my hands in a lot of different things that Mm -hmm. satisfied me
1: so that's so where does that link then to so you know being a team beach body coach which i was too it's partly entrepreneurial because you're trying to do it for service right sure so what is it then that was the catalyst okay i'm done with this i'm gonna go beyond beyond you know the retail job that i have which sustains me for the most part now I'm gonna make a difference to go do do this stuff on my own. Isn't there a risk-taking appetite you need to really have? Really, who know who you are, and then what does the safety of the paycheck mean for you? And then now, what are you gonna do going forward if you don't have that paycheck?
0: Yeah, you know, when I did finally quit my job after thinking about it for about eight to ten years. All right.
1: <laughs> well that's okay that's um
0: all right. it came during a major life change mm. it was truly like a blank slate moment which you know many of us if we're lucky enough if we're lucky enough to see it as a blessing we take these tragic moments i guess or or maybe mm. they're not tragic maybe they're just Moments of like heartache and heartbreak. Moments in lives when we just have, we are broken down. Mm -hmm. And I had one of those moments in 2018. Mm -hmm. I found myself burnt out Mm -hmm. finally from, I was burnt out from my job. So my health wasn't in great condition. Mm -hmm. Um, My boyfriend and I, who I was with for eight years, we broke up. I had a flood at my house. Mm -hmm. So on all fronts, it seemed like the world was closing in on Mm. me. And so um, sometimes it takes having your back against the wall Mm. for us to finally make a decision. And 2018 was that for me. The, The burnout that affected me physically began in the spring summer. The flood happened in July and it was major. I needed, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to renovate my place as a result. And then my boyfriend um, and I broke up oh. in the fall. And it was only it was only like a month later when I decided, I have nothing left to lose. If I don't do this now, if not now, when? And on Thanksgiving day, 2018, I decided that on December 3rd, 2019, I would give my notice mm. to my job that I'd been with for 20 years. And I didn't waver from that decision. And you know, the once I made a decision and I committed, little by little things started happening. Mm. And uh, that was it. That was when it happened. And, um, you know, if you're listening to this, part of the work Raju and I do is helping our clients make decisions before they get to that point, Mm. helping people start to shift towards uh, transformation before they get to a point where they feel like they have no options Mm. i think it's i think you know i needed to go through what i needed to go through um but i think that as human beings we we can shift the consciousness to a space where we shouldn't have to create a situation Mm. for ourselves where we're out of options before Mm. we actually commit to something and Mm. make a decision and so that's you know, if you want to know why and how I finally came to it, mm. it's because I felt like I had lost everything that mattered to me anyway. So, so why nothing,
1: not? nothing left to lose. Why not? So, you, in in terms of catching it early, if you were able to do that, was there any moment in your life mm-hmm. before that that you had indication that you could have made that till till all everything was caving in on you?
0: Oh well, in two thousand and fourteen, I had a stroke. A stroke.
1: So I was getting to that. So
0: I was only 40. No one who's 40 has any business having a stroke, let alone healthy, you know, at least outwardly physically healthy. And, you know, the doctors never did figure out what was the cause for it. And by the grace of God, fortunately, I walked out of the hospital two days later, Mm -hmm. miraculously, as if it never occurred, Mm because everything that I had lost came back within within hours and, and then he went
1: back to your work in six days after that or I didn't
0: like. even take a leave of absence right. I literally was back to work in six days right
1: so that's a great that's an, another you know kind of checkpoint to say well what were you thinking <laughs> if, if you had a stroke at the age of 40 um, what was it that that then kept you going back and say okay well, I'm back to work and I can still win the world
0: You know, I remember our CEO at the time. His name is Adrian Mitchell. He was an interim CEO that we had. And he actually, this is when um, I felt like the company still had heart. Mm -hmm. He called me up actually on my cell phone to tell me, take all the time that you need. Nothing. That is happening here is more important than your health and mm. i thought wow what a stand-up guy yeah. and even our our ceo prior to him who had heard what happened sasha bob yeah. his name called me up and was like you are the healthiest person i know how did this happen <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um and if you're listening and you're a leader or you see level these things matter yeah right yeah. and um I remember Adrian saying to me, nothing is more important than your health. And honestly, Raju, to answer your question, I just wanted to prove that truly I didn't lose anything. Mm -hmm. Truly that whatever faculties I lost temporarily Mm -hmm. when I was having the stroke truly did come back. And, you know, prior to that point, I never saw myself as anything less than unstoppable. Mm -hmm. My identity was tied to being invincible. And I just wanted to hang on to that. And um, it was important for me to go right back to work, to see Mm -hmm. my teams, to visit my stores, to have everybody see me as completely intact. Mm. Because... I needed to see myself intact, and uh, in hindsight, you have a different. Mm-hmm. So you what know, is that? Let's in go hindsight, into, what's the
1: hindsight. What does it tell you now?
0: The hindsight is all about self-care
1: mm-hmm. and
0: self-love. You know, if this were to have happened to somebody that I, I, somebody else that I loved, mm-hmm. I would make sure they understood the importance of taking the time to rest, Mm. to rest, Mm R-E-S-T, to allow yourself to be supported, to allow yourself to take the space to recover, Mm -hmm. to give yourself permission to be vulnerable and receive care from people. You know, I didn't even let my parents come here. Mm -hmm. To care for me because I had this identity in my mind that I was their child that didn't need them. I was their child that was completely capable all Mm -hmm. all on her own. Mm -hmm. And so that was probably one of those um, moments that, you know, the universe, the universe can get very loud with the lessons we need to learn. Mm-hmm. Um and they'll they'll it'll come these lessons will come when you're most susceptible. But I was clearly still hard of hearing. <laughs> <laughs> hard of hearing, hard of re- you know, not able to receive. And it was another 4 years from that time. It was not until 2018 until these I finally mm. um, made these right.
1: changes so for those listeners who are at the cusp of this and then everything is hunky-dory and then something really radical happens you don't want to wait for that right that's what we've been talking about because what is it that they should be looking for or as red flags as potential you know checkpoints to say hey you're overdoing this and maybe it's your ego, maybe it's your type A personality, maybe it's something else that you really ought to be paying attention to and not that, not your ego, but something is telling you. Then when it happens, as we always talk about this in our coaching sessions, you know, when things happen, they happen slowly, and then they happen like that. Suddenly. Suddenly. And then it's like, I don't believe this. How could it happen to me? I'm such a healthy person. And... All of those things that we all know, and this person died at the age of forty-five. You know, had a hole in the heart. I didn't know they were so fit, but they were ignoring certain things, right? Yeah, I mean, what is the way to uh, when we think to that?
0: about when we think about life? As much as as much as we've been programmed, you know, because this is how the traditional Western medicine looks at our body, mm-hmm. looks at our body in parts. So you feel an, a disease or an ailment in one part of your body, you get you get treatment for that. and then it that particular treatment negatively impacts other parts of your body. So then you have treatment for those parts of your body, mm-hmm. right? And then now, instead of treating your body as a whole, now you find yourself with all these different types of Mm Band-Aids for all the different things, and you're not really finding wellness. You're just finding more illness or more sickness. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is why I have a love for integrative medicine or functional medicine, because they do see and recognize the importance of looking at the body as a whole. Well, the body is beyond just the physical. We also actually first and foremost are spirit beings first and when life seems to be throwing us a bunch of lemons yes we can keep we can make lemonade if you're an optimistic person you make lemonade with your lemons however at some point you have to wake up to the messages that are there you know if if you keep running into blocks obstacles situations where it feels like you're getting nothing but negative feedback from the universe or people around you situations you have to ask yourself what are you resisting Mm -hmm. or what are you pushing up against because when you're living in flow and everybody knows what flow is flow is that ease it's effortless it is um there's grace and flow and grace speaking to you know the blessings what feels like luck a lot of mm. people will talk about it as luck and when you don't have that people talk about it oh you know you could talk about it instead of good luck it's bad, bad luck. luck yeah and you and i have had this conversation the idea that when the student is ready the teacher appears, and we would like to argue that the student, the teacher, actually never left. The teacher is always there. Yeah. It just depends on the where the student is in terms of their readiness. Because the truth is, unless we're willing to see what is there, it can come to you in many different forms, but we'll still miss it, yep. right? And um, it it it's a matter of tuning in to another frequency. Mm -hmm. And this idea of leaving my job and leaving everything that I knew to be truth and allowing myself to tread in um, completely new territory, you know, dark waters, Mm -hmm. right? Because you don't know, I don't know what to expect. I've only been an employee. And now in my 40s, I'm going to go into this journey of entrepreneurship as a coach, you know, starting with a stranger, a new business
1: with a guy you didn't know. Right. How did How that do you go from that? You don't know.
0: It, well, that, that has, you have to tap into so, things unseen.
1: So I was going to ask you that as a, as a sort of a final question then on this journey of entrepreneurship, then what has it been like for you since you began your process two years ago or so? And then we began working together about a year and 15 months or 18 months ago. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, in 2019, I hired many different coaches. I had a lot of different help. I I knew I needed business coaches. I needed, um, you know, uh, I hired a tantric coach Mm -hmm. and that really means like self-love, love. love. Uh Um, I hired a career coach, I invested so much money in myself. I even hired a chef, <laughs> <laughs> a personal chef, um, really to arm myself with resources and tools so that I could focus on you know, building my business. But I knew I needed to take care of myself. And one of the things that I learned from for example the tantric coach was this idea of future journaling mm. and it's a lot of it if you follow dr joe dispenza's work you know he's he's got this amazing meditation which i ended up i did it every single day that summer of 2019 it's called tuning into new potentials mm. and then this that particular meditation and in all the future journaling that i did I just focused on the essence mm. of what I was creating and how I was living. Nothing in my journals that I did daily had to be in chronological order. None of it had to make sense. But every day I got to write down a new journal entry from my future as I envision it as if it had already happened. And what it does is it connects you oh to the emotions that at the end of the day, we're really after. And we so wrongly set goals based on exterior, external markers, mm-hmm. when at the end of the day, we're really looking for that internal compass, that, that core desired feeling that we want to generate. Mm-hmm. And what the future journaling taught me to do was to get really clear on What are these emotions? What are these feelings? Mm. And when you're able to do that, the gold or the magic in that is that when you meet people or when circumstances present themselves to you and you feel the emotion, even if it doesn't show up, exactly with the form you had imagined, because you feel the essence, that's how you know it's right. Mm. And so for me, that is the value Mm. of visualization. The value of visualization isn't to get clarity on the form. It's to get real connection to the essence so that when those moments or people or situations show up, and you feel it, you feel the essence, Mm -hmm. you know it's right even if the form is not what you pictured. Just like you can discern, the form might be just like what you pictured, but the essence energetically Mm -hmm. is wrong, Mm -hmm. then you know to say no. Mm -hmm.
1: So advice for people listening, if there was such an easy thing, I know this is not so easy to do, but one thing would be to to think about future journaling. What are the other two tips that you would give them to think about based on all the things we talked about in terms of how your life changed 20 years ago? And of course, eight years ago. And now here you are.
0: Well, well, the, the first thing. Okay. So you said first thing is future journaling. The second thing is like shift your perspective. You know, you just got finished saying it's not that easy. Why? Let's just change that. Actually, it's not that hard. (laughs) It actually is pretty easy when you can just tune into what feels good. That's actually easy. It's just that we're not used to thinking about it that way. We're so used to being programmed to think that whatever is good should be hard, that we don't deserve it, so we have to work so hard for it, or that something that is good for us is so far away and we have to earn it. And I'm saying to you, like actually come out of that thinking And get into the thinking of, yes, whatever it is that I'm imagining, on some quantum level, I must only be able to imagine it because I've already experienced it on Mm. some multidimensional level. Because otherwise, otherwise...
1: You wouldn't be uncomfortable.
0: How would I even know about it? So, you know, go from, that's hard, that's not for Mm -hmm. me, to you know what maybe thinking about it thinking about it as it being hard is the block Mm. maybe i need to just get out of my own way and actually allow for the ease to come in Mm -hmm. so that's one advice it's the second advice and the third would be pay attention (laughs) um set up practices moment to moment day to day that allow you to stay aware and conscious so that you have an, a way of checking yourself and taking evidence um life can move so quickly so fast we can be so busy caught in this striving and striving and striving That we don't ever take time to actually pause and recognize, you know, what it is that's working and to create more of that. And in the process of reflection, whether it's through journaling, through meditation, through just momentary pauses throughout the day, capturing that, there's so much value in training our minds to recognize what is working for us versus being um, magne- magnetic and attracted to what's not working, which is how the rest of the world would have mm-hmm. us think of, you know, anyway.
1: So, so that would be, so one was journaling, one was the, um, what was the second one again?
0: It's about getting connected. connected.
1: And the third, just to be clear, you really ought to be not just intentional, but be aware where you're, that's what you're saying, right? As to where you're feeling what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Okay. So are there any last words of wisdom for people who are struggling with this journey of what they're at in their own uh, day-to-day life? And let's say even whether it's corporate jobs or women who are, you know, homemakers and just feel like they're trapped Uh, are uh, other other situations that people are facing in transition is there anything that you want to share as you say goodbye
0: Hmm. we're never not in transition Mm -hmm. because if you ever are at a point in your life where you feel like you're done sayonara (laughs) Um, because even if you are alive and breathing you're basically dead so we're never really ever done. And if if you are someone seeking answers, seek the answers, ask for help. Mm. You don't ever have to do this on your own and you're not necessarily um, any less for it for wanting to seek support. Like I said, that first year, 2019, I had so much help. I, I I surrounded myself with people who I knew I wanted to surround myself with because they were going to be my support system, my mm. new support system. Um, and so much of transforming your life does involve dying to who you were, and mm. you know who we currently have in our lives today might not be who's best for us as we go through this transition. So, you know, not that, not, I'm not saying at all, like say goodbye to all these people Mm -hmm. um, because no, that's your family. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is in addition to the people that, you know, it is your responsibility to yourself to set yourself up for success and to seek out the right support system. That can help you as you go through that
1: journey. That's awesome. Thank you, Trisha. Thank you for being my partner. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your journey and your, you know, all the insights that you've had uh, over these past few years. And uh, I'm sure the audience got a lot out of this. Okay.
0: Awesome. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much, and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Bye. Bye. We bring you these conversations. To inspire you on your journey to encourage you to excite you and sustain your enthusiasm on this trip
0: we know it's not easy we've been there before and that's why we put together something that will support you go to our instagram account at bold conscious leaders there is a link in the bio for a master class that you can access for free called how to transition from employee to entrepreneur.
1: So subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a review and give us some feedback so we know what sort of topics to bring you in the future.
0: And like anything else in life, nothing changes if nothing changes. And all you need is just one idea, one idea that just might change the trajectory of your life so please go be bold
1: focus on the what and the why and let the how unfold